All right, Lone Star Gunners, welcome to Lone Star Gun Talk, the official podcast of Lone Star Gun Rights, and welcome to the program. Um, so we had an interesting week last week. Uh, last week was the Republican Party of Texas State Convention, where we uh, established all of the uh, platform planks, selected our chairman, and all that fun stuff. And uh, kind of a lot happened. It was very interesting to uh, watch some of the live streams that were there. I wish I could have been there myself, but uh, I couldn't have been because, uh, well, I had to work. But uh, anyway, to help fill us in on the ins and outs, we have our good friend C.J. Grisham, who was a delegate at the convention. C.J., welcome back to the program, sir. Hey, thanks, Derek. Thanks for having me. So... How was it overall? What ex- what happened? Because there was a lot of drama on the floor. Uh, there was also a lot of um, really great things that came out. Apparently, liberty is alive and well in the state of Texas. It, it is alive and well. I think the two things that you can come out of this convention with uh, that I got out of it is, one, the grassroots and liberty movement, you know, the, the Thomas Jefferson revolution is back in the Republican Party, at least. And the establishment is not happy about it. So those are the two things. I I believe that the establishment recognizes that they're on the way out. Um, And there were several indicators of that, uh, that we might, I mean, I mean, just for example, the, the, the whole Cindy Ash versus James Dickey uh, nightmare. Then you had George P. Bush, um, his speech getting booed practically through the whole thing. Um, the the grassroots is not happy with the establishment, and they're finally starting to take over. And the, the plank that came out and the priorities that came out um, clearly indicate that freedom is at least on its way back. Right. And, you know, a lot of the things that I did see from uh, some of your live streams gave me a lot of hope. Uh, you know, I have typically considered myself more libertarian than, than conservative, but it seems to me that uh, the Republican Party of Texas is adopting a more libertarian-leaning platform in a lot of areas, which made me incredibly proud because there are some things that the Republican Party uh, wants to go after that I feel are well, I guess counter to, to liberty as a whole. Um, but they they really uh, came out with a lot of good stuff. Uh, and, you know, including just flat out wanting to abolish abortion um, and getting rid of things like property tax, which we've had in this, in this state for so long. And it is probably one of the biggest forms of extortion that this, that any government can, can do second only to income tax. So, what are some of the, the highlights that we got, uh, with the exception of constitu- uh, constitutional carry? We'll get into that here in a minute. So what are some of the other things that came out? Uh, probably the next biggest fight we had uh, during the convention was the abortion plank. Um, so the abortion, school choice, and, and I would probably say the marijuana legalization were the other three big, well, property taxes, but everyone agrees on property taxes. So it was a big issue, but there really wasn't a lot of disagreement about how to go about that, that I, that I thought was worthy of note. So the, 
the uh, plank that came out of the committees was for a complete and utter abolition of uh, the killing of unborn children. And what we saw was there's a faction. There, there are two factions in the abortion fight. Um, there are those that believe in incrementalization, which I guess is the same as the gun rights fight. There, there are those that believe we, we need to uh, cherry pick our way back to freedom in, uh, in the gun rights crowd. And there are those that believe we need to cherry pick our way back to protecting unborn children in the pro-life camp. And so the big fight for that was whether or not our priorities should be complete abolition or what was settled on. Um, in my view, unfortunately, that uh, it, it get pushed back to just when a fetal heart rate can be detected. Right. So, and and that that pushes it only to a a couple of weeks, I think six weeks at the earliest. But we're still talking about six weeks here, so um, it, it's progress. But that was the big the big fight, and I think the other one was school choice was the other big issue that. A lot of people were disagreeing on. There was a lot of debate. I think the only thing that that didn't keep that from going out of control was the fact that they put time limits on the different sections and whether or not taxpayers um, should pay for homeschooling or charter schooling or anything like that. I think the big battle was homeschooling. And it was kind of surprising that battle because you had people who homeschool who were like, look, if I'm paying education taxes, then, and I decide to homeschool, well, I should get some of that money back to be able to pay for all the homeschool supplies I need, um, the books and things like that. And then there, there were homeschoolers who were like, I don't want the government's money because it comes with strings. And that's a valid argument. Um, because anytime you do get government money, even if it is your money, they're they're gonna put strings on it. Okay, if you want this money, you got to meet these requirements, and you got to you got to homeschool this way or that way. But I think the argument is fallacious because okay, just because you don't want that money, maybe somebody else does want to be able to homeschool but can't afford it. Um, and so this would help them. And if they want to homeschool in a way that the government controls them more, then let them volunteer to do that. But don't sit here and say just because you don't want government money that no one else does. Right. And definitely with the way public education has been going uh, kind of by the wayside over the past uh, decade plus, uh, I could definitely see how more and more parents would want to uh, homeschool their children. Uh, and even if they don't have the means to do so, I could see a state platform where you would want to open up doors for them and allow them the ability to choose for themselves how best to educate their children, even if that means homeschooling. So I can definitely get on board with, um, with something like that. Well, and there's a constitutional argument that, that they all make, and I don't deny this argument. The argument is the Constitution, the state Constitution, um, specifically declares that the state shall provide for a public education system, but it doesn't say that it shall only provide a public education system. And so, you know, this argument that that it's unconstitutional for the government to help pay for a student to go to a private school or homeschool is just, again, another false argument because the Constitution doesn't say that. It just says that the state has to provide a public uh, education system. Right. Of course, uh, there were a, a lot more 
issues at, at hand uh, at the at the convention itself. And it sounds like education uh, got it pretty heated as well. But how did the whole property tax thing unfold? The there's a lot of misinformation about out there, and I don't think anyone really understands the complexity of the property tax system as it is right now and moving to a less, a more free and more fair system of income tax. And you've got, you've got the statist wing of the Republican Party or the establishment wing of the Republican Party that is trying to scare delegates and Texans into thinking that if you abolish property taxes, then your consumption taxes are going to be at a minimum 25%. And there's a couple of problems with this argument. And this is the argument I heard when I was running for state representative. It's, it's what my establishment politician, who, by the way, profits off of property taxes, which is probably why he's so uh, protective of them, because he owns bonds and uh, things like that. But the the problem with that is not everybody pays property taxes right now. And so when you have a property tax system, the burden on the whole is placed on the few. And uh, the burden of the whole is placed on the, on the few. Uh, and those are the landowners. And so when you revert to a property tax system, several things happen here. First, when the landowners aren't taxed, that's more money that uh, doesn't go towards the purchase of a home that can be put into the economy. Uh, that and these, everyone has to pay a consumption tax. And if you don't want to pay a consumption tax, then you just don't buy anything. That simple. Uh, so going to a consumption tax would broaden that tax base. But there's there's so many competing interests in this, and so many special interests on both sides, that it's really hard to to really keep hammered down. Right. Of course, not to mention that a property tax effectively means that you never own your property yes. because you constantly have to pay this extortion fee to the Texas state government or they repossess your house, even if you have deed in hand. I mean, try try being a 70-something-year-old uh, woman who uh, bought had built her house when she was 23, lived in it her entire life. This is a house that she wants to bequeath to her kids and her grandkids one day this land you know that they've they've built over generations and uh try try to just stop or not being able to afford your property taxes just stop paying your taxes and you'll find out whether or not you truly own that property and unfortunately so many of our seniors are being forced off of their property because they just can't afford to pay the property taxes anymore right and, because and, it's completely up to the appraisal district on how much your home or property is valued at. And they did yes. to determine this is what you owe in taxes. And that was another good argument. And I, I'm going to have to go and see if this passed or not. Cause uh, I didn't follow this one as closely. I was really involved in gun rights and abortion was, and school choice were my three. Uh, otherwise I would have never gotten anything done had I gone for everything I believe in. So I didn't follow this closely, but um, there, there is a push, and I need to find out if it passed, for making appraisal appraisers elected officials. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important, as well as toll authorities. Correct. And um, toll roads are definitely something that is 
kind of a big deal along with red light cameras. But uh, and it, it, it really is, whenever you start talking about party platform, I mean, you can really get into some, some issues that, uh, that are important to a lot of people. And, uh, of course I don't want to, I don't want to keep you here for like four hours while we discuss every single one of them. Uh, I'm sure you have better things to do today. Um, but let's go back, let's go to gun rights. So tell me about the constitutional carry, uh, plank, how, what type of debate was going on. Uh, and even if you want to talk a bit about what, uh, how the Republican Party of Texas responded to some of Governor Abbott's calls. So um, what was probably most surprising to me was that constitutional carry wasn't even really that debatable. Um, There was such overwhelming uh, support for it that it didn't even get debated on the floor. It was kept, we, we argued it, um, I argued it in the uh, Legislative Priorities Committee, and Rick Briscoe argued it in the Plank Committee. And literally, we got our language in there. Uh, The constitutional carry is identical from the previous legislative session. So nothing changed, and no one tried to change it. And then it it wasn't even when we got to the floor, there were no amendments submitted to it. So the great thing about that is um, the fact that it doesn't have any there is absolutely no reference in here to the license which is what the legislature tried to do last session no one tried to amend our constitutional carry platform to make it identical to you know hey if you if you can qualify for a license you should be able to carry it without one that kind of thing um that's definitely a good good outcome for sure and the fact that it wasn't even debated should be screaming to uh, the establishment elected officials, um, you know, that are currently holding office and will very likely get reelected in November. That this needs to happen this session. Yes, and then as far as Governor Abbott's thing goes, the there were two planks added this year, um, which we obviously had input in as well. But that was the red flag and firearm storage. We got. I can read this really quick. We oppose monitoring programs, including the red flag that would deprive someone of their right to keep and bear arms without being convicted of a crime or found mentally incompetent by a qualified medical psychiatric professional or I watch proposals and any program that causes gun owners to be investigated by law enforcement or appear before a judge when there is no reasonable cause of a crime committed. We oppose increased background checks, as they are highly prone to false positives and hinder law-abiding citizens' abilities to defend themselves rather than reduce crime. So that was the red flag. It's very clearly in our plank that we oppose Governor Abbott's calls for red flag laws. So that's going to be an interesting fight, considering the governor is the one pushing this, but the convention, this was not debated on the floor. Nobody thought this was important enough to try to amend. So that stayed... Uh, I mean, it was talked about in the in the committees, and there was some debate about it. Um, but this is the way it came out. This is the way it was voted out, and we got the language we wanted. And then the second one was the firearm storage. We oppose mandates on personal firearm storage, maintaining that is the responsibility of the individual to safely store his or her firearms and choose responsibly when and how to make them available to minors. 
So once again, this is about getting government out of our houses, out of our living rooms, out of our um, off of our property and allowing us to train our kids and trust when our kids, when we think they are capable of handling firearms. That's, and again, uh, that was not debated on the floor. That was that that was something that nobody felt the need to try and challenge. That's amazing. It really is, especially because, I mean, this didn't come out too long ago, and you have the governor and lieutenant governor uh, calling for this. I mean, well, you have Governor Abbott calling for it and Lieutenant Governor Patrick pushing for it. Uh, arguably, uh, well, the two most powerful elected officials in the state who are both Republicans, and you have an immediate response from the delegates of the state party pushing a platform plank that um, and and getting it passed without any sort of debate uh, that opposes essentially what they're calling for. I really hope that that resonates just loud <laughs> to Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick because I really... I was really, really upset whenever this whole thing first came out. Uh, obviously, we all were with the uh, with the joint press release that we came out with, but to see the Republican Party come out against it as well, it really is fantastic. Um, well, and let me and let me give this to you. I, I just pulled up the numbers. Literally within the last hour, the vote the votes have been made public on each of these plank items, and the red flag, which is plank number seventy three. Uh, 7,024 delegates voted to include that unamended and only 774. So 90% approval for the red flag uh, plank. That's for, crazy. for the firearm storage. It was actually an even higher approval to oppose firearm storage. And that's plank 74, 7,210 delegates voted to include that. Only 640 voted not to. Wow. So those are, and then uh, let me see, where's, I can give you the constitutional carry numbers here real quick. 70, uh, and that's even higher. So 7,481 delegates for constitutional carry and only 499 against it. Wow. that's Those are blowout numbers. I mean, it's just atrociously uh, in our favor, and I, I know atrocious is kind of a negative word, but uh, <laughs> well, for the gun grabbers, it's pretty atrocious, <laughs> right? Um, so there was also a lot of drama whenever it came to the chairmanship race, which I found probably uh, one of the most intriguing parts of watching the live streams that I saw. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so. I won't get into the, the the delegate process of selecting a chair is very similar to the electoral college. You you've got Senate districts that have representatives that vote in accordance with how their precincts voted. So the people vote and then you've got two precinct chairs that go and they count as a vote. Oh, I'm sorry. You've got one, uh, excuse me, elections. I forget the exact name of the candidate committee or elections committee or whatever. You've got that one person from each district that that goes and carries the vote of that district. So each district gets one vote. The people vote, and then that representative, at least on the first vote, has to vote in accordance with the people. So it's much like the Electoral College. So when, when that was all done, out of the 31 voting districts, um, 
James Dickey, the grassroots uh, pro-liberty candidate, got 22 districts, and Cindy Ash um, had nine. So that's how we went in. And then they created their report, and the report was a recommendation that James Dickey be uh, elected chairman. Well, Cindy Ash's people decided they wanted to alter reality. And, and by the rules, let me just say, by the rules, they have this, their right to do this. It's going to sound stupid, but they have a right to do this. And, you know, the will of the people, whatever. But they created what's called a minority report, which uh, completely changes reality and says that, well, we recommend that the losers be the ones recommended to be the chair on the floor. So what that did was it caused a four-and-a-half-hour free-for-all just completely divisive convention debate on the floor where she just looked incredibly petty. Her argument boiled down to the fact that uh, James Dickey dared to create graphs based off of numbers that and, and that the treasurer did not make those graphs, that he did, even though the graphs were based on accurate numbers. Uh, she was complaining that James Dickey demanded that all reports be filed in Excel spreadsheet instead of PDF format. I mean, these are the kinds of things that she was uh, forcing us through four and a half hours of nonsense away from real business to debate. And so it was very petty. And, and what it essentially amounted to is what Hillary Clinton has been doing since she lost, which is going around blaming everyone but herself. So in the end, after four and a half hours of this nut roll, uh, instead of a 22 to nine loss, it was a 24 to seven loss. So she lost two districts based on that circus that she created in the uh, in the in the uh, committee, or I'm sorry, the convention. So it went from one blowout vote to an even worse blowout vote. Yes, an even bigger blowout vote. It was just it, the whole thing was incredibly embarrassing and. Uh, I mean, it, that that should completely destroy any credibility she has to run for any party position again in the future, except for the Democrat Party position. You know, she might be very much welcome in the Democrat Party of Texas. Uh, they probably need somebody to run for governor, in, you know, in four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, is there uh, is there anything else of note that uh, you feel needs to be brought up uh we've kind of covered a lot of ground here uh in kind of a short amount of time but uh, is there anything I else that the, you walked away from yeah i think the, the the last thing that i i was kind of blown away from is i know there's not a lot of support for george p bush but i didn't realize how major uh his support base has been eroded george p bush the land commissioner um, was practically booed through his entire speech. And I'm not talking by a few hecklers. I'm talking that, I mean, I mean, it was resounding throughout the convention hall to the point where he couldn't even keep on his message. Uh, people are very upset about what he's doing with the Alamo. And, and it's literally to the point where I saw a video today where the Democratic candidate for land commissioner is actually out there saying that he completely opposes Governor Bush's or Governor Chiefs, uh, Land Commissioner Bush's land, reimagine the Alamo plan. He will not move the cenotaph and make sure it stays where it's at. And I'm thinking, my gosh, this is a Democrat that sounds more rational than a Republican about 
our history and heritage. And, 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 you know, it's actually causing a quandary, at least in me, because, you know, the land commissioner, you don't really, no one really cares what the land commissioner thinks about gay rights and uh, abortion and gun rights and all that kind of thing, because uh, that job isn't really, it doesn't have any influence on any of these other issues. So if, if you're a single issue candidate, it doesn't really matter because the land commissioner doesn't really deal with that. They have a very specified mission. And part of that is the Alamo. And so, uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I could or would or will vote for a Democrat, but I'll tell you what, it really, it's, it's really causing me some headache and heartache when I hear a Democrat candidate for land commissioner sound more rational than our Republican that's already in there. For sure. Um, wow. That's... I'm not even going to say his name because he's a Democrat, but I mean, <laughs> right. if you guys want to find out, Go find out on your own. I'm not going to promote this guy, but I'm telling you, when you listen to his his pitch on the Alamo, you know it's something that George P. Bush should be saying. That that's what he should be saying, not this Democrat. That um, that's interesting. It it really is. I you know I I don't like dynasties. I don't. I didn't like the Clinton dynasty proposal. Obviously, with with Hillary wanting to be president and. Uh, Chelsea trying to get into a political career. I didn't care for the Bush dynasty whenever you had, you know, uh, uh, Bush 43, follow 41, and then Jeb being governor of Florida trying to become president, and now his son as land commissioner. I, I think that we should move past the whole, you know, this guy's got the name, so he's good uh, mentality. And, you know, it, it seems to me like George P. Bush is... Well, I, I think he's pushing away far more of his base uh, harder and faster than Jeb or any of the other Bushes would. So, oh, and this convention proved it. I mean, it was it was not a friendly convention by any means for George P. Bush. Well, uh, it, it will be interesting to see what happens in November. Um, hopefully, at minimum, hopefully George P. Bush got the message loud and clear that reimagining the Alamo is a horrible idea and that he should forego it entirely. Yes. So, well, uh, CJ, I really appreciate your time today, man. And, uh, bringing us up to speed on, on some of the highlights of the convention. Um, you know, there is going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of gun rights issues coming up here in the near future. Uh, we have a, um, we have an event in Santa Fe, Texas, uh, next weekend, and uh, yes. I'm going to be there. You're going to be speaking as well. Um, you want to give us a quick rundown on that? Yeah, so we're going to be in Santa Fe. Um, we're going to be caring for the kids, and um, the Santa Fe community has been welcoming. Don't listen to the media. Um, they actually wanted to do a march for our lives there, and the, and the community rose up against it, and that's why they never did. And now that we're planning our rally, the, the community has embraced it, but the media hasn't, and now the media are trying to uh, make us look like like we're we're the bad guys. Oh, how could you, how could you go to Santa Fe so soon? Okay, well, anyway, shut up. That's my <laughs> response. But um, you know, we're we, we've got to get past this idea that when there's a tragedy, only one argument is timely to you know to use a word. Uh, 
gun rights is no less offensive or more offensive than gun control after a tragedy. And we have a right to defend our kids the way we feel our kids should be defended, which is by arming law-abiding citizens. Um, just as the other side has a right to spew their nonsense that the best way to protect kids who were killed because they weren't protected is to make sure they're even less protected. So we've got to get past this idea that, oh, it's too soon, it's too soon, it's too soon. It's never too soon to defend ourselves and to defend our ability to defend ourselves um, after a tragedy. So, yeah, yeah, this Saturday in Santa Fe, uh, you know, I don't even have the address on me, but if you if you go to your website, Lone Star Gun Rights, I'm sure you guys have it up. Um, Open Carry Texas has it up on all of our social media, and um, we could really use really use having some people out there uh, to show some support for this community, show some support for these kids who were brutally murdered and attacked and uh, show some support for making sure it doesn't happen again. Absolutely, man. Well, CJ, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it today. All right. Thanks, Derek. Take care. You too, man. Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it, guys. Uh, you will notice today that uh, this episode was available for download on Monday, which is going to be the norm from now on. So uh, instead of uh, instead of uploading on Sundays, uh, I'm going to take that extra day to make sure that I can get you guys episodes on time. Uh, so until next Monday, Lone Star Gunners, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo. Lone Star Gun Talk is a Lone Star Gun Rights production, hosted and edited by Derek Wills. Copyright, Lone Star Gun Rights 2018.